Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In anticipation of LA Opera's on now streaming of Oedipus Rex, conductor and LA Opera's Richard Seaver music director James Conlon delves into the one act opera's mythic and musical power. Composer Igor Stravinsky and librettist Jean Cocteau based Oedipus Rex on the ancient Greek tragedy of the same name by Sophocles. Yes, the one where Oedipus unknowingly kills his own father and marries his mother. The 1927 opera is a highly stylized and ritualistic work. The production will be available to watch free of charge beginning June 17th. You can sign up for free access on LA Opera's website at www.laopera.org. It seems appropriate that after more than a year of the COVID pandemic, as we at Los Angeles Opera emerge, that we acknowledge it through a performance of an opera oratorio, as its composer Igor Stravinsky described it, which begins under not just the threat, but the scourge of a plague. I'm James Conlon. Oedipus Rex is such a work. Like so much great Stravinsky, it has a unique and unconventional profile. It was born of a striking and particular set of parameters set by the composer himself. It's a hybrid between the static, non-theatrical character of an oratorio, though the composer emphasized that it was not religious, and some conventions and forms of an opera, but one which he shunned action. It is a hybrid between an imagined Greek theater and the contemporary Parisian world of playwright, poet, and novelist Jean Cocteau, with whom his relationship was alternatively warm and frosty. So it was to be dramatic, yes, but not melodramatic. It was to recount a story, but to narrate it without emotion. It was to be monumental, purposely static, in which its characters would be presented with a very stiff formality, like a wax museum, it was dryly noted. Statues, each performing their assigned scene and then withdrawing from the stage. Thus, in the composer's words, quote, the stage figures are more dramatically isolated and helpless. The portrait of the individual as victim of circumstances is made far more starkly effective. Unquote. Stravinsky chose to set the text in Latin, precisely because he wanted a so-called dead language. It was back-engineered from a living language that the audience was meant not to understand. The choice of a story, chosen from Greek literature, was also distant, but in its broad outlines, familiar to the audience. What little was necessary to know was recalled to the public with a simple narration. All ways of distancing the listener from his or her habits of experiencing opera. You were to listen clinically, coldly, if you will. And yet, the theatrical experience, taken as a whole, is paradoxically powerful. Once again, the Stravinsky of the Rite of Spring shocked and shook up his audience, but ultimately set his mark on it with absolute mastery. The Picasso of composers once again demonstrated that he was always, unmistakably, himself, but constantly presenting himself and re-presenting himself in new forms and in surprising ways, and always on his terms. Whether we read Sophocles or not, were exposed to Freud or not, if so, how could one not have heard of Oedipus? We can start with this story. The gods are displaced and have punished Thebes, the great city, with a plague. The people call on Oedipus, their revered king, to solve the problem, 
just as he did the riddle of the Sphinx. Creon, brother of Queen Jocasta, now the wife of Oedipus, explains that the plague has been caused because the previous king, Laius, has been murdered. The seer Tiresias recounts that the oracle has revealed that the murderer of the king is a king. Queen Jocasta is at first suspicious of the oracle, but in the course of time discovers and understands that the young hero Oedipus unwittingly killed Laius, who, unbeknownst to him, was his biological father. Returned to Thebes, and because he was a hero for having solved the riddle of the Sphinx, receives a hero's reward, and marries the queen, Jocasta. It turns out, of course, that she is his mother. The gods have caught them in a trap. Oedipus has murdered his father and married his mother, thus Freud's Oedipus complex. They have brought ruin on Thebes, and until they are expelled, the plague will not be lifted. Humiliated and racked by guilt, Jocasta hangs herself, and Oedipus, before setting out in exile, gouges out his eyes. A grim end, but of course, the stuff of opera. But unlike a Puccini melodrama, we don't see any of that. We hear it narrated and recounted by a very Greek chorus. That is the distance imposed by Stravinsky. With the help of a narrator, only the bare bones need to be presented. Stravinsky writes in an eclectic neoclassic style, using fragments of forms known from the Baroque and classical operas, and keeps us focused on the music through depriving us of the opportunity to experiencing the sung text in a language we can understand. The choice of Latin was additionally effective for the large Roman Catholic public in Paris, an effective way to give the impression of ritual theater rather than melodrama. The core of the story, recounted not seen, is the young man who unknowingly murders his father and marries his mother, but as ignorance of the law is not a defense, he is punished severely by the gods. I will walk you through the music, helped by the narration. The text was written by the prominent French playwright and author Jean Cocteau. The sung text was then translated into Latin by a brilliant young Jesuit theologian, later Cardinal Jean Danielou. Thus, there is no common language with the public. The material is not dead, but petrified, becoming monumental and immunized against civilization. The narration is translated into the vernacular of the country where the work is presented, including an English translation by none less than E. E. Cummings. My introduction to the story of Oedipus in high school was not Sophocles, Cocteau, or Stravinsky. For smart-aleck teenagers like me of the 60s, the revelation was Tom Lehrer and his amazing and now iconic songs of the era. His offering of Oedipus Rex is worth hearing. From the Bible to the popular song, there's one theme that we find right along. Of all ideals they hail as good, the most sublime is motherhood. There was a man, though, who it seems once carried this ideal to extremes. <laughs> he loved his mother and she loved him, and yet his story is rather grim. Once lived a man named Oedipus Rex. You may have heard about his odd complex. His name appears in Freud's index because he loved his mother. 
used to say quite a bit that as a monarch he was most unfit, but still and all they had to admit that he loved his mother. Yes, he loved his mother like no other. His daughter was his sister and his son was his brother. One thing on which you can depend is... He sure knew who a boy's best friend is. When he found what he had done, he tore his eyes out one by one. A tragic end to a loyal son who loved his mother. So be sweet and kind to mother. Now and then have a chat. Buy her candy or some flowers or a brand new hat. But maybe you had better let it go at that. Or you may find yourself with a quite complex, complex and... Now let's get serious. The Greek chorus has the conventional collective character, reacting, participating, observing, commenting. All men, divided into four parts, a practice drawn from Stravinsky's Russian roots. The orchestra's standard, including harp and piano, dominated by woodwinds, and with the exception of the timpani, sparse on percussion. The narrator provides just enough of the story to keep us focused, and provides a certain distance from our emotions. You are about to hear a Latin version of King Oedipus. This version is an opera oratorio, based on the tragedy by Sophocles, but preserving only a certain monumental aspect of its various scenes. I shall recall the story as we go along. Oedipus, unknown to himself, contends with supernatural powers. It sounded like this in French. Here, narrated by its author, Jean Cocteau. Spectateur, vous allez entendre une version latine d'Oedipe roi. Afin de vous épargner tout effort d'oreille et de mémoire, et comme l'opéra oratorio ne conserve des scènes qu'un certain aspect monumental, je vous rappellerai, au fur et à mesure, le drame de Sophocle. The opera opens without introduction, with an outburst, an outcry from the populace. It is a Verdian gesture, like Otello, but the music is 100% Stravinsky though the melodic outline bears a resemblance to a phrase from Aida, Pietà ti prenda del mio dolor, have pity on my suffering. Cedit nos pestis, the plague falls on us, Thebes is dying of plague, from the plague preserve us. Stravinsky utilizes no Wagnerian leading motives or leitmotifs, but there is a figure in the timpani, harp and piano, outlying the interval of a minor third, which will prove omnipresent. It is an ostinato, a short phrase that is repeated constantly throughout a composition. Its obstinate, obsessional character suggests destiny, and not a nice one. Inescapable fate, tragedy predestined from birth. Listen carefully to what is at the bottom, underneath the chorus. (laughs) 
I, illustrious Oedipus, love you and will save you, he tells the people. His ornamental style suggests a Baroque prototype, and his facile and flexible mind, and also his fatuousness. Ego clarissimus, he says of himself, most illustrious Oedipus. Creon, brother of the queen, Oedipus's wife, Jocasta, arrives. The murder of King Laos must be found, the oracle has proclaimed. The pompous and bombastic Creon sings to a banal march-like rhythm. gathering all of the force of the orchestra. Another aria for Oedipus, this one firmly rooted in the key of E-flat major, which gradually emerges as the royal tonality. Again, not a Wagnerian motive, but a frame of reference. Then the chorus cries, Solve the mystery, Oedipus. Solve it. He says, I promise, I shall. Illustrious Oedipus speaks. The narrator says that the assassin of the king is a king. The orchestra takes up the repetitious ostinato fate motive with the celli and basses now reinforcing the original timpani, harp, and piano. The assassin of the king is a king. Theresius, a blind man who is paradoxically a seer, is a deep bass and generously shares his deep low notes with us. He speaks slowly, clearly, and without passion or emphasis. He could be a character from Mussorgsky's Boris Gudnov, Piman, the holy monk, for instance. He starts rigidly and almost monotonously. <laughs> Carmen, 
The two-note ostinato reappears. The king must be driven from Thebes. Tiresias concludes royally and authoritatively, saying, Rex peremptor regis est. The king is a king's murderer. And without interruption, connects into another aria for Oedipus, again in E-flat major. Envy hates the fortunate, says Oedipus. They want to destroy the king. Oedipus does not understand and mistakes Tiresias' intentions for personal vengeance. It is not. It is the decree of the gods. Tiresias understands. Oedipus does not. Then, a magnificent chorus, Gloria, to praise, glorify, and welcome Queen Yocasta to the stage. It could be from a mass, but the timpani and choral imitation reveal its closer relationship to the Mussorgsky of Boris Gudunov than to the Handel of Hallelujah. Costa's great scene stops the argument. She chides all for arguing. Oracles lie, she says, and she explains that Laios was slain at a crossroads. Beware of oracles. The scene is rich with illusions. Its introduction starts with the orientalism of the harp and flute sounding in G minor, and here reminiscent of Aida and the Pharaoh's daughter. Its appearance is particularly effective as a contrast to the Gloria Chorus's G major.
Now the aria proper, which will have three sections before repeating the first, a Baroque technique. It is slow and sensuous, harp accompaniment throughout, starting with the two-note fate ostinato, and three clarinets, perhaps meant to be reminiscent of the imagined ancient Greek instrument the aulis, which was played in pairs. Stravinsky provides us with such a passage. Then a contrasting fast section, still featuring the clarinets. Then, perhaps the most memorable section of all, Oracula Mentita Sunt, the oracles lie. Jocasta repeats this over and over, both with the recurring minor third fate motive and the rapid four notes, which are reminiscent of the Beethoven Fifth Symphony, which, legend tells us, is fate knocking at the door. Oracula, Oracula. Sensuous first section is repeated verbatim until she proclaims that Laios was murdered at a crossroads, trivium in Latin. The chorus takes up that fateful word. Oedipus is afraid. He knows he murdered an old man at a crossroads. Oh, 
subito mio casta pavesco subito pavesco pavesco maxime pavesco io casta io casta audi lo puta este trivio Jocasta argues him down, but he is afraid and wants to find the shepherd who witnessed the crime. It is a conventional stretto, that is, a passage in a faster tempo at the end of an aria. A messenger announces that King Polybus of Corinth is dead and reveals to Oedipus that he is only an adopted son of the king. Jocasta understands. She tries to draw Oedipus back in vain. She flees. Oedipus believes that she is ashamed to be the wife of an upstart. Oh, this lofty, all-discerning Oedipus. He is in the snare. He alone does not know it. And then the truth strikes him. The shepherd and a messenger appear to tell the story. Oedipus has understood. His final moment combines a shudder in the orchestra in D minor, the traditional tonality of death, of course containing the minor third from the fate ostinato, but sharply contrasted by a major third on the flutes, which is a luminous moment of clarification, although it hides a more ominous B minor chord. The contrast of major and minor is essential. Oedipus says, I was born of whom divine law forbade. I have lain with whom divine law forbade. I have slain whom divine law forbade. All now is made clear. Catosum, quonifastum est. Cantoboli, quonifastum est. Cecidi, quemnifastum est. messenger describe your caster's doom. He is almost unable to speak. The chorus takes his part and helps him to tell how the queen has hanged herself and how Oedipus has pierced his eyes with her golden pin. Now follows the epilogue. The king is caught. He must show himself to all as an incestuous monster, a parricide, a madman. Gently, his people drive him away. Farewell. Farewell, King Oedipus. You were loved.
The messenger describes the suicide of Queen Yocasta and the gouging of Oedipus's eyes. He repeats, Divum Yocasta caput mortuum, the divine Yocasta is dead. Stravinsky, with self-deprecating humor, referred to it as a forward singing telegram. Then the chorus describes the horrific scene. Stravinsky, ever ironic, calls its dance-like symmetry a mortuary tarantella. horrified and horrifying chorus recapitulates the opening bars of Act One to the words, Behold, Oedipus the king appears a most foul monster, a most foul beast. And then the chorus intones, Farewell, Oedipus, I loved you. Then he and all fade away to the two-note ostinato fate theme, proving that it was all predestined from the very beginning. I'm James Conlon. If you've enjoyed listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera. <laughs>